0: Hi everyone, my name is Dana, and welcome back to the Fem State Podcast, where we discuss historical women in politics who often go underrecognized. Before we begin with today's episode, I just want to give a little bit of an update on what the posting schedule of this podcast is going to look like, as well as just a couple of other housekeeping items. So firstly, this podcast is going to be posting every single Wednesday and Sunday from this point forward. So it's actually twice a week, you can expect a new episode from me on pretty much every single podcast directory that you can think of. Secondly, I'm currently working on making a brand new intro and outro for this podcast, as well as getting some new podcasting equipment. So hopefully the quality of this podcast is going to be much, much better in the next few coming weeks. So if you have any questions or comments or really any feedback about that, please either just send me a DM through Instagram at state, or leave a comment down below. With that, let's get started with today's episode. The woman's place is in the house, the house of representatives. I'm sure you've heard of this little line before. It leads you in, making you think you're in line for a really misogynistic ride, but then it redeems itself, and then you're like, oh, that's actually really clever. I was just in Washington, D.C. a couple of weeks ago, and this quote was everywhere. And I mean everywhere. On mugs, t-shirts, whatever product that could have commercialized this basically did. And as someone who's a politically active female, I appreciated this. But I didn't really know the history behind this quote, or really even who said it. Turns out it was by a woman known as Bella Abzug. And this was her slogan when she ran for the House of Representatives in 1970. In this podcast, we talk about a lot of firsts. The first female senator, the first woman to run for the presidency, but Bella Abzug didn't really have a quote-unquote monumental first. Even though she was the first woman to run for the mayor of New York City, as well as for the U.S. Senate from New York, she ended up losing both races. And the legacy that she leaves behind really isn't characterized by these firsts, but rather a longer, continued effort throughout her entire lifetime fighting for women's rights and equity. But before we get further into her legacy, we first have to start off with her earlier life. Bella Abzug was born Bela Savitsky in the Bronx, New York City on July 24, 1920. She was born to Russian Jewish immigrants and she basically spent the entirety of her childhood being what she called someone who was quote-unquote born yelling. And by this, she basically meant that throughout her entire childhood, she was very not only politically active, but also just outspoken in general. She could often be seen in the New York subway, advocating for whatever political issue or cause that she cared for at the time, and she's known to be more outwardly feminist than others. Now, for clarification, in today's day, someone that's feminist isn't really something that's ostracized or negatively characterized. You know, in fact, I think if you're claiming to not be a feminist, people are automatically like, oh my gosh, you know, why? Like, that's horrible. Um, Because, you know, in the present day, feminism has pretty much been equated just with greater rights for women and equality between the two sexes. But back in like the mid 20th century, when Bella Abzug was, you know, just starting off her career, feminism was still a very taboo topic. And this was largely because of the association it had with being somewhat of a form of radicalism, which obviously doesn't make sense. But if you look back on a lot of interviews of celebrities or other high-profile figures during the mid-20th century, what you'll find is that a lot of these people did support women's rights. You know, a lot of them were women themselves. But when they were asked about how they felt about feminism or the Equal Rights Amendment or even just about women's rights in general, a lot of them would begin by responding, I'm not a feminist, but blah, blah, blah. And then they would continue to explain how they wholeheartedly supported equal pay for women or, you know, women's engagement in politics. So really, even though someone who supported women's rights did characterize themselves as someone who supported gender equality, they didn't call themselves a feminist. But Bella Abzug didn't really necessarily play into these same societal stigmas. You know, she wasn't necessarily afraid to be characterized as a feminist which was rare for the time. In addition to that, she was pretty much very competitive throughout her entire childhood. Um, There's accounts of her being, you know, from the age of super young, like in elementary school, of trying to beat boys at marbles, or playing checkers, trading baseball cards, you know, just being a regular kid, being very outgoing and ambitious and competitive, which are some traits that, you know, obviously follow her throughout her entire lifetime. She graduated from Hunter College in New York City with a Bachelor of Arts, and then she decided to apply to law school. She did end up attaining admission to Columbia Law School, where she became the editor of the Columbia Law Review. At the time, this is a huge accomplishment, considering that woman didn't take up much space in the legal profession because they weren't allowed to. And law was, and unfortunately still is, a heavily male-dominated field. When she graduated, she went on to become a civil rights lawyer. And one of the more prominent cases that she worked on was that of William McGee. And this case was pretty heavily publicized. But in case you're not familiar with it, the case was dealing with a black man who was falsely charged for raping a white woman. So Bella Abzug defended him in front of the Supreme Court. And as you can imagine, this led to her gaining a lot of prominence within both the legal profession as well as just as an activist in general. In the 1960s, she decided to kind of pivot from a traditional law career when she helped organize the Woman's Strike for Peace. The strike for peace was what it pretty much sounds like. They lobbied for a ban on nuclear testing. A common theme that you can see throughout her career is that Villa Abzug was very much anti-war. Throughout her entire political career, she protested both the Vietnam War as well as nuclear arsenals. Shortly after, she also helped organize the National Women's Political Caucus. From what I can gather, The basis and pretty much mission of the political caucus was to help promote women's issues and to lobby for both political and legislative reform. Soon after this, she decided that she wanted to lead more of a prominent political career. So like I mentioned earlier in this episode, she used the slogan of The Woman's Place is in the House, the House of Representatives to run for the house of representatives in 1970 fortunately she did end up winning with his slogan and even though she only stayed in congress for a relatively short period of time she left in 1977 so she was around seven years into her house career when she decided to retire basically she wasn't as tenured as career politicians But despite that, she did end up being incredibly influential. During her time, she authored co-authored Title IX, the Freedom of Information Act, as well as the Equality Act of 1974. Now because there's quite a lot of Equality Acts, this one specifically aimed to help protect gay individuals from discrimination, and at the time, it was one of the first pieces of legislation of its kind. Like I mentioned before, she left in 1977, But even though her career in the house was over, by no means did this mean that her political career was over. In 1991, she co-founded the Women's Environment and Development Organization, which was from its website, quote, a global women's advocacy organization for a just world that promotes and protects human rights, gender equality, and the integrity of the environment. If you haven't heard of this organization before, it holds a pretty significant role in helping shape the agenda of the United Nations to help ensure that its policies and practices, especially regarding women and in relation to human rights, economic justice, etc., you know, really are helping women. And she, as one of the co-founders of this organization, obviously held a super significant role in the shaping of the legacy that it's left behind today. The final point I'm going to leave you with today is actually another quote of hers. Women have been trained to talk softly and carry a lipstick. Now, if you've heard anything about Theodore Roosevelt's famous declaration that America should speak softly and carry a big stick in relation to our foreign policy, There's obviously some parallels here. Really, by this playful twist on Theodore Roosevelt's original statement, Bella Abzug showed that she spent so much of her life essentially battling the idea that women don't have a political voice. And her career is obviously a testament to this. She led an incredibly accomplished, successful political career in advocating for women's rights and equality. But not only this, but she also left behind a legacy for other women, a path for them to further engage politically and civically, and essentially empowered others. And that is a legacy that we will forever cherish. Thank you so, so much for tuning in to today's episode of The Femme State where we discuss historical women in politics who often go underrecognized. If you enjoy today's episode, please subscribe to our podcast and tune in for the next episode, which will be this Wednesday.